All right, all right, all right. Uh, my name is Grant. In case we haven't met, one of the elders, and as you've noticed, Josh and AJ are, are gone. I don't even know where they are. So uh, they're on vacation or something. I don't know, but I'm glad they're off and they can can get some time away and time with their families and and that. So. Um, our question of the day was, what's your favorite city? And, and I'm going to tell you mine, but we're going to talk about a city today, the city of Jericho, which was just talked about, um, and we'll unpack that a little bit. But my least favorite city is the city of Scottsdale, Arizona, all right? And I'll tell you why, because when I was a kid, um, I was a bad kid. I, had, I went through this troubled phase in about four months where uh, I, I got suspended twice, one for throwing a rock and hitting a girl in the forehead and giving her stitches. Another one for lighting a fire on the playground. Uh, I guess they frowned upon that. Uh, for stealing from my friend um, and from stealing from a store. And just all these things just happened. And, and the, the store one really got me because that was the fourth event there where as I stole, I, I, I opened it at right in front of the store. And the manager came out and said, where did you get those? And I, 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 don't, I, I didn't have a good answer. And they said, if I ever see you in here again, I'm calling the police. Now, I didn't tell you this, but I was 11 years old in my life of crime. 11 years old here, do, you know, getting suspended, all of this kind of stuff. And I, I'm just thinking, oh, man, I'm going to, for the rest of my life, live a life of crime. I'm going to prison, you know. My parents, what's going to happen? Like, even my parents didn't know what to do with me at that time, too. And they had to stay home when I got suspended, right? And... I never thought that God could use me because I had a past, right? And so today we're going to talk about our past and what that looks like. And, and I want to ask you this question. What does your past whisper to you? What does your past whisper to you? Maybe, maybe I'll give you a few of my own kind of things that throughout my life have whispered to me. Maybe it's shame. Shame that, you know, you haven't always measured up. You haven't always done what God has told you to do or, or, or you've ruin relationships with other people and you just have shame or or maybe it's regret that you get this little small whisper of regret of things you should have done or things you shouldn't have done that you've done and uh, you just regret those things right or maybe the whisper is is condemnation in some way that you just feel so weighed down by what you've done and you you just feel like you can't get out of that funk, right? Or, or maybe it's just disqualification, right? God cannot use me because I have done so much that I am, I'm not as holy or worthy as those people over there, and here I am, and I sit in church, and I just feel unworthy, right? My guess is that we probably all experienced those in some way, right? Um, and maybe you've experienced them, you know, years ago, maybe last week, maybe today you're living in that. But I want to give you some good news. The good news is that in our story today, we learn that our past does not define us. And I want to share some truths today from the story of Rahab, all right? The story of Rahab. Uh, you may have heard of Rahab. You may have not, but we're going to unpack what her story is. And it shows that God's family tree was indeed dysfunctional. And I think that gives us hope and that gives us peace as we live our lives uh, to know that God uses dysfunctional people. Uh, so today we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about how God saves us from our past, how God uses us despite our past, and how God redefines us um, and those of us with a past. So the question, though, is who is Rahab? Who is Rahab? Well, the simple answer is the Bible describes her as a harlot, or if you don't understand that word, also as a prostitute, right? 
So you're thinking, man, prostitutes, they're in the Bible? Yeah, they're all over the Bible. It was a crazy time. Think Game of Thrones times 10 was the Old Testament times, right? Uh, but Rahab was a prostitute. And when I got this text, you know, uh, Josh said, hey, would you be willing to fill in for a week? This was a couple weeks ago. And I said, yeah, sure. And I didn't look at the text right away until a couple days later. And then I did. And I'm like, thanks, Josh. You owe me big time. So I'm going to talk about a prostitute today. Yeah, uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, yeah. Um, but, but Rahab has a great, great story, and we're going to look at that today. But we're going to read um, Joshua chapter 2. Let me give you some, some um, basis here. Uh, so the, the book of, or uh, the Old Testament starts with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. These are the books of Moses. And so we get these stories of God's people the Israelites, and how they are um, set apart from all of the other tribes that are in the world at that time. Um, and they are to be set apart. They're not to intermarry. They're not going to do certain things because God wanted to keep them uh, pure and holy. Now, they were uh, captured by the Egyptians, and they were doing hard labor. They were building pyramids and all this. And God said, you know, you got to, told Moses, you got to tell them to let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, right? You know this. Oh, baby, let my people go. No, yeah, yeah, you know that song? Okay, maybe not. But uh, let my people go. And so God sends 10 plagues on them. Uh, Eventually, the Israelites get away, and they run, and they cross the Red Sea, and the Red Sea falls on all the Egyptians, and they are then saved. But they are saved to a place that is a desert, right? Now, and they wander around for 40 years, not knowing exactly when they'll be done or not knowing exactly where they're going. Now, we just finished a pandemic. I think we're kind of coming out of it. There's still parts of it, right? But think about that. Like, think when the pandemic started. They said, what, two weeks to flatten the curve? Two weeks, it'll be done, right? It's been like two years, you know? And think about that. So, We thought two weeks would go really quickly. It ended and kept going and going and going. Think about 40 years, though, of not knowing when you will be done with this thing. And they're just traveling around, uh, eating things that fall out of the sky and and just trusting God for every day of their life. And they get to the river, the Jordan River, and they're about to cross over to the promised land that God promised them, right? So at the end of the 40 years, Moses is leading them. Moses dies. He doesn't even get to lead them to the promised land. And there's a guy that takes over. His name is Joshua. And that's the sixth book of the Bible, um, which then Joshua's story happens. And you you hear the story of the Israelite people there um, in the promised land. Now, again, all these lands that that God had promised his people, they had been overtaken by people. And so God said, well, I need to give these back to you. And so one is the city of Jericho. And that's where our story starts in Joshua chapter 2. And so let's read a little bit of that. Uh, starting at verse 2, it says this, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, I don't exactly know why uh, they were sent into the city and they stayed at a house of a prostitute. That seems kind of weird. But my guess, and from what some of the, the smart people that I've read on this, is that it was because it was kind of the place where everybody kind of congregated and went, and, and, and you couldn't really tell who were the visitors and who weren't, and people didn't really uh, uh, look at there or question if you were there. And so it was their place to kind of get in the city without being noticed, right? And there was probably some hospi- hospitality there, too, because uh, it was just a place that, you know, supported that lifestyle and, and paid the bills, right? So... Um, 
It keeps going, though. It says this. The king of Jericho then was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to, to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the entire land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, but the woman had taken the two men and hid them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, and you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So it's kind of an interesting story because, you know, Rahab hides these two guys that are foreigners that, that are there to take over her city, and yet she sees compassion on them. She shows compassion. And um, why, we don't quite know until later on. But, um, but what's interesting is that Rahab essentially lies, right? And, and I really wrestled with this as I read it. I was like, is it okay to lie if it's part of God's plan or his will? And I, as I thought about this, as I read some, some of the commentaries on this too, they were kind of saying it was kind of like, you know, the people that saved people in the Holocaust. And they, they, they went in there and infiltrated or, or think about like an undercover cop who kind of disguises themselves and lies to get and to save and do the greater good. Now, I'm not saying that we should go all lie for God, but I'm saying that I don't know if that even justifies it, but that's not even the main point of the story. But I wanted to give you some kind of clarification of, okay, maybe this is uh, why that happened there. So, um, but yes, Rahab hid these spies. Why? Well, my first point I want to share with you is that God saves those with a past, with those of a past. Rahab had a past. And no matter what our past whispers to us, no matter what our past holds, our past is the reason that Jesus was actually born, right? Uh, Rahab comes across in scripture maybe as a shrewd businesswoman, right? She's just trying to make money, make a buck, and maybe that's why she invited the spies in. Uh, we don't know. She wants just a good living. Uh, maybe she was there, and maybe she was more like um, uh, the, a true prostitute that we might know today. Um, I had a good friend. His name was Adam, and he uh, lived in downtown right next to a gentleman's club. And one of his things that he did, he lived probably... 30 yards from the exit, um, the back exit of this gentleman's club. And so he would stand out there, and while they were taking their smoke breaks or just hanging out on their breaks, he would just talk to them. And he had this great idea one time. He's like, well, why don't I, like, invite them over? And as he's telling me this, I was like, interesting. Tell me more. Uh, and, and he said, you know what? I think I want to, like, build, like, a fire pit. And I can invite them over after work and just talk with them and, and share Jesus with them. I was like, that sounds awesome, yeah. And so he would do this, and he kind of built up this following where, where after um, all these strippers would come over and hang out by the fire and talk about Jesus. It was such a cool thing. And he even was able to, um, uh, some of them got out of that lifestyle, and, and he found jobs for them in other ways. And so it was just a cool thing. But, but maybe when we think of Rahab, she was kind of like that, just trying to survive in some way. Or, or maybe Rahab came from a place of deep brokenness. We don't know why she was a prostitute, but maybe um, deep brokenness from childhood trauma that caused her to go to that route. Um, and, and maybe it was her pain and abuse that led her that way. I don't know. Or, or maybe Rahab had been rejected and, uh, and, and um, abandoned. And it was just her desperate choice to, to survive. And that was the ways she made ends meet. I don't know, but as I thought more and more about Rahab, 
I had compassion on her because I don't think she intended to go down that, that lifestyle choice, but I think she was probably forced into that in some way. But here's the good news, right? Uh, you know, the whispers that Rahab heard, condemnation, fear, you know, judgment, worthlessness, too many mistakes, too much regret, any of those kinds of things that we often also feel at times, Jesus has an answer for us, right? And Paul says this in Romans. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace that comes through the redemption by Christ Jesus. I love that because it kind of gives this simultaneous, you know, that we're both saints and we're both sinners at the same time, right? That, that, that we are um, all sinners. We're all broken in some way. We all have regrets and things that we've done, things we haven't done in our lives that, that push us away and break our relationships or, 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 or break our relationship with God, right? But it says that, that Jesus, because he came, he justifies us. He makes us right with God freely by his grace, not by anything we have done. And that is some amazing news. And that's the news for Rahab, too, because here's what happens uh, in the next part. In Joshua 2, verse 8, it says this. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. What I love about that is Rahab, even though she's probably never met any other Israelites at that time, She's heard the stories for all of her life, right? I mean, that crossing of the Red Sea happened 40 years where God delivered his people. And I'm sure those stories were circulated around and, wow, there's this group out there. We, don't, we haven't seen them for a long time, but they're out in some desert wandering, and God saved them. And, man, they might be coming for us because we have their land. Like, we got... And so finally, they see these, and, and there's fear that, that takes place in these, these people here. Um, and she hears these stories, and she believes in that God, in Yahweh, of saying he is a God of deliverance, he is a God of freedom, and I want to believe in that God that I've heard the stories about. And so she has this faith, even though she's never been to church, she's never been to synagogue, she's never probably interacted with other of uh, the, the Jews at that time, that that. She has this faith because of the stories of faithfulness that she's heard. And then it goes on that this. She says to these two spies, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. And give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. I love that story because God then saves through her, her family. And there's more that comes to the story where that city is destroyed, but they are saved, and more will come out of that. It, but all this, you know, God saves those with the past, reminds me of my, my friend Katie, who I met in college. And Katie uh, came from a rough upbringing. Um, when she was in high school, she bought into a lot of the lies. She, she thought that by giving her body away to guys that she would um, uh, find love. And, and she, every time she did, she, she found that she just found emptiness and, and worry and sadness and oppression. And she came to this college that I was at, and, and while I was there, uh, she, she got to start a new life. 
Very few people knew her story. Um, she would share occasionally to people she trusted, but, but she got really involved. Um, she met a guy that uh, was one of my friends and uh, one of my future roommates, and they started dating. They're, they're married, but, but she was able to find um, transformation and a new life um, and, and to be accepted and saved from her past um, because of this acceptance that came from from uh, this community that we are part of. And what I love about that, God saves those with a past, and he not only saves those, but he uses those with a past too. Because God used Katie and her husband to then go into Christian schools and to now teach Jesus to kids uh, for years and years and years, and they've been doing that for over 20 years now. And a lot of that came because of Katie's experience with people there at that school and that her life was transformed and changed and she was saved from that old way of life and transformed to a new way of life and that's great. But yes, our second point here is that God saves or uses those from a past. Um, I want Rahab's story to convince you that, that God used Rahab mightily despite her past. And in the first battle to conquer the promised land, God used Rahab not only to save the spies but also to save her family. But there's more. There's more of the story that God didn't just stop there for Rahab. God used Rahab to shape the character and the faith and the godliness of a son named Boaz. Now, if you've been here at Acts for the last couple months, you might recognize that name because that was from the book of Ruth that we studied a couple months ago, um, Ruth and Boaz who got married, and that he would one day rescue that young Moabite, Ruth, and they would get married and have a family. We'll get to that in just a second. But what I love about Rahab and her faith that we talked about, right? She had this incredible faith that she believed um, in this God, even though she had never really gotten to worship him. Um, and she had this incredible faith, and she is in the Hebrews Hall of Fame. Now, what is that? In the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, there's this list in Hebrews chapter 11 of all these people that had faith that were saved by their faith. And here is the part about Rahab. Um, it says this, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. We'll get to that in just a second. After the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. You see, her faith saved her. Her faith of what she believed in God. Now, what's fascinating about this is in the entire uh, book of Hebrews, there's only two women listed. And she's the only one credited with her faith. The other one is Sarah, who AJ talked about a couple weeks ago. But Sarah is connected to Abraham, and it would talk more about Abraham's faith rather than Sarah's. But, um, but Rahab um, is this incredible woman in the Old Testament that's lifted up in this, this Hebrews Hall of Fame here. And I think that's, that's super cool that God used her um, throughout the, the New Testament. And, he, and Rahab comes up in the book of Matthew, in the book of James, um, Hebrews, I mean, all over the New Testament. So she was an, uh, an important character of those days. Um, but I wonder... Maybe as I ask myself as I'm studying this, like, what, what keeps me from having faith like Rahab? What keeps me from, from following God? And, and what are those whispers that continue in my life um, from letting God use me mightily, right? There's, there's many things where uh, I think the enemy brings us down. He reminds us of our past. And, and here's the thing, um, that don't allow the enemy to take ground that Jesus has always already conquered, right? And that's, I think, a promise that we have to continually remember, that God has already won the battle, but sometimes we, we let that fear or that, that questioning creep in of like, well, 
does God really love me? I mean, I, I did this. Does, does God really save me or use me? I don't think he can because of this, right? And we let those things in our life creep in. But what I need to tell you is the gospel, right? That Jesus uh, gave his life. He lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't. He died on that cross. He rose again so that we could have life everlasting, not just here um, or, or in heaven forever, but also have life abundant here on this earth. And that is awesome. That is awesome. Um, and because of that, we can, we can move on, and God can use us in powerful ways. I'll tell you a story about my friend um, named Alex. He was um, one of my former students at, at Concordia, where I teach. And um, when he got out of high school, he was kind of just a young, dumb, like, you know, 18-year-old. And, and uh, him and his buddy were, were smoking pot and had marijuana, and, and they decided they were going to leave Texas and drive up to visit a friend up in Oklahoma. And as they did, as they crossed that state line from Texas to Oklahoma, they were pulled over. Now, the rule at that time, the law at that time, was if you uh, transit, you know, drugs across state lines, that's a federal offense. And so my friend uh, Alex spent 10 years in prison for, um, for taking marijuana across state lines. Um, now, he was a Christian. His, his parents had brought him to church at times, um, but um, he didn't really... Um, really live that life or, or really buy into that. And so, um, but while he was in prison, he started to get more involved because you got a lot of time in prison. So he started to read his Bible. Um, he went to some of the Bible studies. There was a pastor that came and, and ministered and mentored him. And what was great, that at the end of his time, his prison sentence, he had felt God's calling on his life to go into ministry. And, and he came to Concordia and, and he spent some years there. He was an older student, 10 plus years than any of my other students, and, and he, he went on an internship and went overseas and, and shared the gospel in South America, and now he's back here sharing the gospel um, with, with um, uh, kids and, and adults at a church um, in North Texas, and that's an amazing, amazing story of how God can use us despite our past. Um, and even can use our past in powerful ways because there's, there were certain churches that said, yeah, yeah, we, we don't know if we would take him because, uh, you know, as, a, as someone with a record, he, he might be a little questioned. But there were some churches that said, yes, we absolutely want him because he's got a great story of redemption. What a better way to share Jesus with people who have stories like that than someone who's lived that. So God uses those with a past. My last point here is that God redeems those with a past, you know. Um, you know, when scripture mentions Rahab, it's usually always Rahab, the prostitute, right? That's always kind of like, now imagine if you were defined by your past, right? Like, I was Grant, the thief, you know, or, or Grant, the, the rock thrower, or, I mean, I guess David already has that one, but, but, you know, whatever it might be, right? And you were defined by your past. Well, here's the cool thing, is in the book of Matthew, the first chapter, there's a genealogy, right? The first book of the New Testament lists a genealogy of Jesus, right, where Jesus came from. And there we find Rahab, and she's not defined by her past, but she's defined in a different way. And let's read that together. It says this, uh, uh, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. What I love about this story is that Rahab is no longer defined by her past, but she's defined as now the mother of of, uh, of Boaz, right? Uh, it's more of her, her future, of what came after that, than her past. Um, and what's cool about that, she is the great-grandmother 
of King David. And the great, 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 I might be missing a few, uh, grandmother of Jesus Christ. Think about that. That in Jesus' bloodline is Rahab the prostitute, or now Rahab the mother, or great, great, great grandmother of Jesus. What a cool way that she's redefined um, in her life. And we are too. But think about this. Rahab went from a fallen woman to a chosen woman, from a bad girl to a bride, to a mess to a mother, from a prostitute to a predecessor of the Messiah. And God redefines you and me as well. So how does God redefine um, and transform us? I think scripture gives us a whole bunch of these, and I want to list some of these up here, of ways that we are transformed through Jesus. And a lot of these are great ones that, that if you ever feel like your past is creeping up on you, to memorize these so that these can, you know, take the forefront of your mind as you, as you think about those pasts and you go shove them. But here's a few of them, right? If you're dealing with shame, here's what Romans 8 says. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not condemned in Christ Jesus. They're gone. He's forgotten them. What about this one? What about if you're dealing with sin and just your past sins? It says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that we are wiped clean if we just simply confess them. Here's another one. Uh, our chains, when we feel weighed down by the weight of our sin and our brokenness and our past, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who slaves or sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed, that you have freedom from your past and your sin. Here's another one. Um, what about our self-contempt, where we just beat ourselves up over and over again? It says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, that, that he doesn't see us that way. We don't have to beat ourselves up because he doesn't beat ourselves up. And not only does he love us, but he lavishes that love upon us. It's like an abundance of just waves crashing over us. Oh, isn't that awesome? And then here's another one. What about our fear? First John says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And Jesus gives us that perfect love through his death and resurrection. And because of that, we don't have to fear. We do fear. We have anxiety. But in Jesus, um, we can rest in that love. And I think there's one more here. Our rejection. Yeah. When we feel rejected sometimes because of our past or our sin and we feel like people are judging us, we can take this to heart. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful or marvelous light. Oh, man, isn't that amazing that, that we are given a new identity, that we are re, um, redefined and transformed. You know, I think back to my life and, you know, as that 11-year-old kid who had done a bunch of things, you know, I remember sitting in church that day because um, my parents dragged me to church, and I, I didn't like it, but we went, and um, uh, at that time, we did this thing called the confession, and, you know, I'd been going to church my whole life, but it never really sunk in, and I sat there during that confession, and I heard these words, and I, uh, there were words that maybe you grew up with, too. It was kind of this liturgy we did, and it said this, um, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess to you all the sins I have committed in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I've not loved my neighbor as myself. I have not loved you um, with my whole heart, God. And I justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. Whew. You know, think about, as an 11-year-old kid, I'm thinking, yep, yep. You know, I had done all these things. I deserve your 
punishment, God. And I'm looking up, and there's a chandelier right over my head. And I'm thinking, it's coming. <laughs> God's going to strike me down because I am such a horrible person. My past can never be def- redefined. My past is, is t- I'm too far gone for God. You know, this is my 11-year-old thinking. And yet, as I waited and listened, next came those words from the pastor that, that I had never really heard before, right? And they were the words of forgiveness, the words of ap- absolution that said, you know, as far as the east is from the west, your sins are forgiven. You are wiped clean. You are a new creation in Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. And I remember just sitting there and this like weight lifted off my shoulders and thinking, wow, all right, all right. And, and so uh, from then on, you know, I haven't lived a perfect life by any means, but from then on, I left my life of crime and, and, and continued on, and, and I felt like God, you know, called me in certain ways, and because of that, my parents, if you would have asked them at that time, you know, this guy is going to work at churches and at universities, he's going to teach, you know, thousands of middle school and high school and college students, my parents would have been like, you sure? Our son? No, no. Um, but it's just a cool way that God redeems and that God can use your past and, 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 and redefine you um, no matter where you've been or what you've done. And because of that grace that, that God loves us just the way we are but refuses us to leave us that way and that he wants to transform us and wants to, to um, uh, redefine us. And we call that word sanctification and that's just a powerful word that God works in us every day uh, that we're not perfect but every day Hopefully, he's, he's leading us closer and closer to Jesus, right? And because of Rahab's name, because of Rahab's name in Jesus' family tree, we can remember that we have hope. We have hope, hope for her, but also hope for us that we are never too far gone because we know that God saves those with a past, that God uses those with a past, and that God redefines those of us with a past. So like Rahab, may you trust in God's promises and know that you are saved, that you are utilized for his purpose, that you are made new each and every day in Jesus.